So, Doctor Strange. Okay, yeah. Shit, hold on. <laughs> the jazz okay. horse is here. Sorry, he's got to answer was. his jazz horse. No, I had I uh, I was cleaning off my desk earlier and I moved my bell and I went to hit it to bring us <laughs> into like fucking Judge Judy bring us into session because she hits a bell and I couldn't find my bell so I panicked. <laughs> um, okay, she hits a bell with a gavel and breaks the bell every, every episode. Time. Bailiff, another bell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's she's one of the highest paid pe- people on television. She can afford bells. She can afford bells. Super true. She um, is so well. One of these damn kids isn't listening to her. This is a three-bell case. Netflix needs Netflix. its Judge Judy. That's what Netflix needs. No, 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 no. Netflix really needs Judge, du- Judge Judy. They need to snipe her from syndication. There you go. Ooh. I like it. Because it's a fresh get... take. What if, yeah. what if Netflix got, like, the entire, like, history of like general hospital or one or like dark shadows or something hmm. you know one or like a long-running uh soap opera I, you could just i mean there was, period, there was a period where hulu had a lot of soap operas and like a bunch of a bunch of like the long-running soap operas had been canceled from uh from syndication but like we're going yeah. on who still going on hulu <laughs> and they got canceled the, like i i don't think that for whatever reason, like streaming and soap operas haven't seemed to really. Well, I mean, it's not right. surprising. All right, let's let's People bring it back in. Patrick's, Patrick's got a strict two and a half hour time limit, and <laughs> hey, we've already wasted forty five minutes of it. Yeah, talking about talking about honeycombs. Yeah, honeycombs, honeycombs and our our uh, scintillating analysis of uh, Netflix. Trade carefully out there. Um, but this is Cinema Excelsior, and today we're going to talk about uh, the 1964 classic Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, starring Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, and George C. Scott. Uh, dude, you're Peter Sellers. Slim Derek, you are also Peter Sellers. Yes. Nick, you are Slim Pickens. Patrick, you are also yeah. Peter Sellers, and I'll be George Which C. Peter Scott. Uh, Patrick, you are Muffly. Derek, you... I, no, Derek is Muffly. This. Patrick, you're Mandrake, and dude, you're Strangelove. <laughs> yes. There we go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love, I love that, uh, dude, that uh, Derek had like a, uh, like a fist pump in excitement over being. Muffly. Yes, Adley Stevenson analog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Muffly Merkin. Merkin I Muffley. am the Adlai Stevenson of this podcast. Merkin <laughs> Muffley. <excuse me. laughs> I, was, I was actually hoping for uh, uh, Inspector Clouseau. Mm. <laughs> Star of Dr. Strangelove. I, I was really hoping uh, the weird Indian character from the party was going to show up. Can you do the bum? Where is the bum? Okay, uh, we're talking about Doctor Strange today, the 2016 film starring uh, Benedict Cumberbund and uh, Mads Mikkelsen. And, okay, so I need and help. Jessica Walter. <laughs> yeah. Rachel McAdams? I don't know what that means, and I'm not sure. Chuetel Ejiofor? Thank you. That was, that was what I was going to bring up. Like, how Chuetel Edgefer. Chuetel Edgefer. That's yes. the, what? Okay. Edgefer. Wait, I, I once saw seriously? him in a theater production when I, oh, yeah, when I was when I was studying abroad in London. I actually saw him in a theater production, and I heard him. I heard actually at some point during the production, um, he 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 had he said his own name out loud. I don't remember why. As we do every day, yeah, was, in the middle of the stage play, of, in the middle of Death of a Salesman. <laughs> I don't remember the My exact circumstances, but I, I have heard I have heard the man pronounce his own name, and I believe, okay. and as far as I'm aware, it's Chewetel Edgefer. So canonically, Edgefer. we're going to go Chewetel Edgefer. Um, yes. Okay. 
uh, Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wong, and uh, the uh, the guy Benedict's. from yeah, the guy from A Serious Man, Michael uh, Stuhlbar. Michael Stuhlbar. And Benjamin Brad is there too. Yes, oh, I thought like. I thought, uh, and also Tilda Swinton and Tilda Swinton. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Tilda Swinton's in this too. I think I'd seen this movie three times before I discovered that two of the leads were both named Benedict. Uh, yep, I did not realize that until you just mentioned it. Wow, <laughs> you just said both of them. I names. know, but it didn't click. I always kind of wall off Benedict. How many times said the word? I literally said the Benedict auto style said into his own little cinematic world. Yeah. Okay, so well, we all would have noticed there were multiple che- Chewettles. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we'd have. Made... Oh, Chewettle Jones. <laughs> okay, uh, so the film was directed by Scott Derrickson, um, who uh, noted horror director. noted horror director. Um, not a whole lot of that comes through in this film, but apparently it will in the sequel if if uh, Comic Con is to be believed. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is. Uh, Whew, okay, there's a lot to talk about here. But also, uh, shockingly little to talk about here as well, because uh, if if we have watched other Marvel films, which on this podcast we have, uh, many of these beats may seem familiar. Um, and so what, I, what I'm interested in discussing as we go along is what, uh, what distinguishes this film as interesting in its own right and uh, what about it... Uh, does not particularly come across as as unique or interesting. Fractals. Fractals. Yeah. That, I, mean, I, I, I think we can. I, I feel like without contradiction, I can say this is one of the more visually interesting of all of them. Like yes. And I, I want to give Scott Derrickson credit. This, this is, film looks great. Yes. This is the, their psychedelic movie. Like yeah. Doctor yeah. Strange is clearly think, a product of the psychedelic, uh, yeah. you know, sixties, seventies. Yeah, they, like, they, this they, was Stanley in his drop an acid phase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean this this character and this movie does not exist without psychedelics. Yeah. I feel like this is like this period of the MCU is like around where I was like starting to really get bored with the formula of yeah. MCU movies, particularly like their origin movies. And I think I think really like in terms of like formal like in terms of plot. There's not a lot here that's interesting, but I think in terms of like the formal qualities of, of the of the effects, like they're they're legitimately like they're yeah. interesting. I don't know if that necessarily elevates the what's a fairly standard, you know. Yeah, it's it's Marvel the... Marvel hero gets his powers, faces an evil version of himself yep. that we've seen, you know, probably twenty times now. Faces an evil version of himself. Uh, yeah, an but he underwhelming also faces villain. an elder god from beyond space and time. So Which is literally really just a... stop there. But, but that is literally still an evil version of himself because it it is voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> that is yeah. true. Although so there's three Benedicts in this film. T- there are three <laughs> evil versions of himself <laughs> in this movie. Dormammu. <laughs> Whatever Mad Mickelson is called, and Chuetta I'm called. Setting, I'm calling him game. Mads Mickelson. Okay, yeah. because I'm calling him Hannibal. This is this is the like of all. There are Marvel movies that don't recognize that they have particularly weak villains, and then there are Marvel movies that do. And you can tell by how heavily they lean into who they cast in those roles. Like, no, no offense to Christopher Eccleston, but someone thought that Thor: The Dark World was a good idea, and someone thought that Malekith was an interesting villain. Um, but this is very much like, okay, it's a guy. He's an evil wizard. Uh, we need an actor that will cause people to forget that this guy is basically just evil wizard, or at least doubt it. 
Um, yeah, exactly. I feel like if it were literally anybody who isn't Mads Mikkelsen, I it's been like I think a month since I watched Doctor Strange because we had to cancel the last yeah, time yeah. we we're doing it. I I feel like if we we're having this conversation and it didn't start, I would be going, "Oh yeah, there is that guy in this." There's... I would have forgotten him if it were not for the fact that it was goddamn Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. Before it's we get to hot man, too far from the point about it, it being. Pretty. I, I agree. It's it's a good looking film, and the you know uh, sort of psychedelia effects sequences mm-hmm. are, are interesting, particularly in a theater. I mean, I remember when mm-hmm. I first saw it in mm-hmm. theaters that you know that was um, pretty compelling. But I've seen this film like I think three times now, um, yeah. and I just I, I even get bored with that. You know, it's mm-hmm. sort of like uh, it, it's it's a kind of psychedelia that doesn't. I mean, it's it's, it's sort of a, a showpiece in the most traditional kind of sense of the word, and it's very kind of bracketed off from the rest of the film. And and mm-hmm. e- even if the film, I think, in some ways is successful in establishing this kind of uh, you know mystical, magical world, mm-hmm. there actually aren't. There's not that much to the rules of that world that makes no. it kind of compelling as a world, right? Compared so, to you know, name name your magical world of of choice, um, and so there's a way in there's a way in which like the visuals like yeah they look pretty, but yeah. if if we want to treat this as a traditional Hollywood film where like those visuals have to be motivated in some way, that connection seems very kind of yeah. workaday to me. Uh, and I would also in a way say, in like, a way that like I mean if, when I watched this film, sorry Nick, but no, yeah, I just okay. want to get this thought out. Um, I, I actually found myself comparing it to, to Ang Lee's Hulk, right? Another oh. film that was very kind of mm. visually interesting. At least there, there was a kind of through logic to the to the visual kind of excess of that film. Mm-hmm. And here, there's a certain logic, but it's the least compelling kind of logic in, in that this is just an, a narrative world where magic is possible. And mm-hmm. so that, for me, that that kind of made the the visual elements of it less less compelling on yeah. certainly on subsequent watches sorry well i think i think also in terms of like on a similar note like as i was saying like i think sort of the rigid the rigid the rigidity of the marvel movie formula like it even even when it's getting like really trippy in terms of its visuals it's never it's never straying from like the like very set like story beats that a marvel origin movie has to yeah. has to uh do but like i feel like given sort of the the you know at least the attempt at sort of the mind mind bending visuals there's perhaps a more interesting version of this movie that is like also narrative narr- more narratively complex and like uh-huh. plays with you know our and, sense of perception and, our perception of time sort of linear and, and, understanding and of this morally story. more morally complex as well i mean yeah they, they, i mean it's a there's this entire subplot about uh, Tilda Swinton's character uh, making use of dark, evil magic to extend her own life. And by the time that entire thing's introduced, like, that has zero impact. That lands with nothing. It changes yeah. nothing in the, the scope of the I, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big reveal. And yeah, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. So my experience well, with this I, is that I, I actually enjoyed this on the rewatch more than I did on the original watch. Uh. Um, mm. Which was interesting to me, like, I, and I, I can't exactly say why, but the a lot of the sort of those plot points landed bit better with me mm-hmm. on the rewatch, and part of it I think is part of the reason I felt like I actually found some of these parts, some of these these plot points that landed better with me was that 
I, you know, the, the kind of, the knock on Doctor Strange, at least in the comics, is that he and Tony Stark are basically the same person. Mm-hmm. Like, literally down to the beard. Uh, and and they've they've made great fun of that in the comics. Like they've literally at certain points pointed out that they they're the same person. I think at one point Tony Stark spends an entire run trying to convince Doctor Strange that they should be called Awesome Facial Hair Bros. Um, and 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 sort of like what is the difference between Tony and Steven? And yeah. so when I was sort of like sitting watching the movie trying to figure out what is the difference between these two people that kind of made a lot more of mm. what that made that made especially the early parts of the movie much more interesting to mm. me and because i was kind of coming in from that point of view i think parts of the plot clicked into place that mm-hmm. i did not appreciate in the first movie mm. yeah uh, i like, uh, go finish up I was going to say, uh, just to kind of like finish the thought, and there's like one moment that really stood out to me that really helped kind of click this into place into me is it's the part where um, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's basically just burning through cash, trying to feel his, feel his hands. And, and Palmer, Rachel McAdams character comes to like see him and, and ask how he's doing. And he is incredibly cruel to her. Like he is really horrifically mean. And I remember watching, and I was watching it, and I actually was watching with my roommate, and I actually paused the movie, and I said, that moment is the difference between Tony and Steven. Tony, for as bad as he could get, would never be that cruel. It's just not in his nature. Um, and and he is driven by very different demons than Steven. And I know that it seems, it seems similar, but, like, Steven is very much driven by, like, I, I think it's some, someone even points it out to him at one point in the movie, just this terror of failure. Mm-hmm. in a way that tony is not tony is not driven by terror or failure he's driven by a a fear of his own success a fear of the out, out actions that he does and when i was thinking about that it it really did make certain parts of the movie much more interesting so i i have a thought that i want to come back to on that in terms yes. of um in terms of where they start on that and where they end up, but Dooge has been trying to say something. Um, I apologize. So. Um, I I don't remember specifically what I was trying to say well, earlier. I'm going to talk then. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very sorry. I, this I, is, I feel uh, like there's more to say about Honeycrisp. <laughs> I haven't really had my opening comments yet, so I do have things to say, but I don't know what I was go, go, go. gesturing about earlier. Uh, but I, I mean, this is probably the fourth time I've watched this, and it's for mostly personal reasons uh one of my favorite of any of the films that we've watched Mm. um i find the the, there are things that i dislike about it and i think make the movie difficult to watch but i think those are mostly deliberate choices on the filmmakers parts the only part that really bothers me is the kind of lack of chemistry between rachel mcadams and uh benedict cumberbatch and the the fact that it feels like the their relationship was probably put in as much out of obligation to the comics and obligation towards like a Hollywood need for some kind of romantic interest and maybe to set her up for future use. But I, I feel like that relationship and the a large part of the por- the first portion of the film is flat and rather uninteresting. Excuse me. Um but I think that there is so much going on here with the the visuals that are how do i put this it feels like they have made a movie about drugs but instead of calling it drugs they're calling it magic so 
a lot more of what is going on visually is very directly representative of real world phenomenon. They're just calling it magic in this and then also fictionalizing a bunch of it to make the plot more interesting. Uh, and, but the, the kind of the journey that uh, Stephen Strange goes on through the film to overcome his ego and realize that uh, his, the successes of his life have always been partially failures because he has always viewed them in terms of how they have made him greater rather than how they have done things for other people. And it's not until the, the ancient one tells him, Stephen, it's not about you. None of this is about you. It's about what you can do for other people. It's about the work. It's about how your actions benefit the world. And he gets that, that he sort of opens the door his own door of perception to its becoming the greatest self that he can be, which is the journey that psychedelic drugs take a person on. And this movie is basically representative of how, uh, as you see uh, Stan Lee's character reading Aldous Huxley's door, the doors of perception, it's about how uh, there are other ways to view your life than just what society has raised you to believe already. So, Dujay, I want to come back to the psychedelics angle. And mm-hmm. I think beyond dispute, you are probably the person on this podcast most qualified to talk about it. Uh, I certainly Because have. I've done a lot of reading. Yes. I have done exactly. a lot of reading. That's correct, my... yes. You, yeah, you're very literate. Um, totally legal reading. But I, I, want to, I want to latch on to a point you were driving at about that journey and then the point that Patrick was driving at about um, the differences between Tony Stark and Stephen Strange. Um, and it, the idea of where Steven starts with that cruelty and that ugliness and that self-aggrandizement and thoughtlessness. Yes. Um, and and Tony, I think is presented as vain and naive, but not ugly in that same way earlier. Um, but that also translates to, to where they end up. Uh, at the end of the first Iron Man film, you know the the ending of that film is Tony declaring to the world, "I am Iron yeah. Man. This is me. It's it's about me." Um, and the the ending of this film, uh, before the the teasers for the subsequent stories that are being told in the credits, is uh, Stephen like taking this heavy cloak onto his shoulders and trudge trudging up this staircase having taken on a burden that's bigger than him and having resigned himself to that. And the the journey that he goes on throughout the course of the film is not one of being like, ah, I'm pretty great versus being, yeah, I'm really great, which is basically the Tony Stark journey. Um, but more this, an actual process of allowing himself to be humbled for a cause that's bigger than him. Um, and to to some degree, that's where, you know, at, at the end of all Avengers stories, Tony ends up. But even then, Tony's in, when we get to Avengers Endgame, Tony never lets go of himself, truly, um, where, where Strange does. And he, I think it's important that he, he lets go of the goal that he set out to accomplish, which mm-hmm. was to fix his hands. Mm-hmm. And we know for a fact that the other guy uh, used magic to fix his own yeah. body. So Steven could do that. But he still doesn't. Yeah, if Benjamin Bratt can do it, anyone can. <laughs> yeah, I think one one interesting uh, thing about this film that that relates to that I- idea of of 
Stephen's journey throughout the film is that, um, you know, in the in the first act, um, Steve, he's got a kind of arrogance that you really don't see in any like he's even extremely Tony, unappealing. He, he's, oh, he's yeah. really not. Yeah, uh, he hardly does anything in the first act to make right. him likable. Right, you don't. It's it's really hard to align yourself as a mm-hmm. as a viewer with him, and then. You know, after the sort of inciting incident, and you know, when when he he goes to to Katmandu, mm-hmm. um, he he starts like his character starts to have this kind of Tony Starkish wit mm-hmm. to him. You know what I mean? That which is not even you need to start. It's like a Marvel thing where yeah. like. Yeah, they very they're quips. We're actually trying to add up how many of the protagonists in Marvel films sort of are funny or define themselves by being funny. Right. Peter Quill certainly is one. Uh, yeah, Ant-Man, and that, obviously. And, and that's a turn in his character that I feel like wasn't terribly well motivated. I mean, the the one kind of, you know, non-off-putting bit of characterization you get about him is the very beginning of the film when he's in surgery and he, he can identify Chuck Mangione. Um, which is yeah, sort of... A, you know, you can like, yeah. You know, okay, he's sort of a pedant, I guess, but but maybe a, a pedant with with a certain amount of charm. But there's a way in which his characterization is kind of uneven throughout the film. Yeah. I yeah. And he treats yeah. Michael Schulberg like shit, and then he treats him well later. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I I did not find that charming, uh, like his weird musical trivia game that he plays with the now surgery it's... staff. I find it very weird. I, yeah, I mean, it's just about showing off how smart and skilled he is in both trivia and, you know, successful Knowledge of actual horn. things. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, like, if you know Chuck Mangione, that's the mark of an educated, successful man. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, trivia. That he knows how to, he's a surgeon, he's a successful surgeon who knows a whole lot about surgery. He's, he's, he's the greatest in his field in that, but he also just has this brain that holds on to literally everything. Yep. So yeah, if, guess, if he can hold on to the Chuck Mangione stuff, you can believe he's gonna that he would magic. read these books overnight and master magic faster yeah. than anyone I, else. Perhaps, perhaps it would work better for me if if we saw that like that demonstrated like one or two more times. Like if he does a bar it, trivia yeah. event and there's like a bunch well, of other teams, know, like, but he's winning by himself. Or he's, there's a really long sequence of, of him playing Trivial <laughs> Pursuit during his recovery with other people in physical therapy. I don't need my hands wiping the floor with them did you all have head injuries <laughs> do we do we want to spend any time talking about cumberbatch's accent by the way yes absolutely because yeah, like take, i know we want floor. to do it and and i feel like we just we should get let's get this out of the way early Why? that way yeah. we can like get out of our system i mean i think um, we've, talk, right. we've, we've talked about his accent a couple times before now i know for have we yeah. not today yeah. we, but in previous episodes we talked about it a little bit but yeah huh. yeah i mean i know we've brought up the fact that my roommate the voice actor uh pointed out that the problem is not that his accent is bad it's that he's his cadences he's got still has the british accent yep. cadence back I... to an american accent and it sounds jarring um, and his his Sherlock co-star is much better at it because mm-hmm. Martin Freeman has the American cadences with an American accent. Yeah. Um, same with Tom Holland. Just for some reason, it's some, it seems it's because they're both playing it. real New Yorkers, but he's playing a fake New Yorker. I yeah. never even noticed his accent at. I didn't even think about the fact that he was doing an American accent the any of okay. the times that I've watched I, this. 
I, fi- I find it very distracting. I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, your mileage may vary. But I find what I find the weirdest about it is that it feels entirely unnecessary. And yes, I think we've yes. talked about this before. Like, Tom Holland has to be doing an American accent. Yeah, if he's playing right. Peter Parker, he has to be doing at least a, a decent New York accent mm-hmm. uh, in some capacity. Oi, I'm Here's... just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think well, would be better for the character if he's... Web yeah, up your chimney, uh, Gumbo! Well, uh, like, like, Doctor Strange, like, obviously in the comics is an American character, but, like, going into Doctor Strange, going into the film, this is not a co- this is not a comic character that the general audience probably knows a Could lot about. Yeah, they don't, they don't not a comic they're character. They're not desperately in need of him being American. Yeah, yeah there's the nothing that intrinsically like, American. Yeah. Spider-Man Ch- is. Changing him, changing him <laughs> to, just letting him do Benedict Cumberbatch's normal accent or, you know, a British accent. If I, I, I assume I know what Benedict Cumberbatch's natural accent is, but now that I think about it, maybe I don't. Who knows? <laughs> but, um... Uh, yeah, again, I don't think there's anything. It seems strange to me that they made him do the accent or that he did the accent. I don't know if this is I was just about actually, to say, like, what what would we have heard Benedict Cumberbatch perform in where he might have done something approaching a natural accent? And I thought Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, but then I remembered almost everyone in that film is doing a ridiculous accent of some sort. Or other. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I've heard him do. Uh, press stuff. I assume he's speaking in his natural accent. Probably, but like, you know, Christian Bale very frequently does things and does interviews in his American accent. Maybe he's he's actually got a Cockney accent. He might be, he he might be Welsh. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) But like, yeah, like if it's not, if it's not his Well, that's why he didn't use his natural accent because if he was stepping uh, up, uh, uh, boy, I am I found myself through throughout the film, because there are, there are a couple things about this film tonally that i just find very flat Um, and as i say the chemistry uh it it felt like both of these actors were they weren't given much to do together or kind of individually very disappointed that i that i wasn't getting something from benedict cumberbatch more akin to like nicholas cage playing ghost rider where i wanted him to have some kind of crazy affectation that would like give the actor something to like really chew on and what if it was benedict cumberbatch's idea to just do a nonsensical accent and like that's his idea of being really showy and crazy he just just decides that he has an afrikaans accent (laughs) (laughs) i I feel like rachel mcadams in this film this like the the performance that she gives and the part that's written for her she must look at natalie portman in thor Mm -hmm. and think to herself ah to play a role with that complexity and that yeah to be fair to be fair natalie portman is going to get to do that she's going to yeah yeah. all right four films in yeah Yeah. so for 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 our listeners the 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 next thor movie four and uh, the next Doctor Strange were just announced yesterday. Yeah, but, like, but significantly, so so we are just reacting. But also, I feel like, given how little Natalie Portman got to do, I mean, I'm curious to like bring her back and making making that feel, uh, you know, like a significant character development in the same way that like I have not paid as much attention to the uh, to the Doctor Strange sequel announcements. I don't know if they've said anything about Rachel McAdams' character. All they've they've, all, they've, they've given the title and they've said that Elizabeth Olsen's going to be in it. Okay, um, but um, what was I going to say? But like it would feel we- it would feel weird at this point for like the sequel for Rachel McAdams to suddenly 
be very central to the plot of this. But maybe a I multiverse mean, I, I version like of Rachel McAdams where she has more depth I mean, and character let, development. Will yeah. Let, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. You could very easily like merge her character with Doctor West and just make him like a friend character, mm. and it would you wouldn't change all that much. Like you you you. The character exists for Steven to for someone who is a friend who is compassionate to Steven for him to be cruel to mm-hmm. and so he can and that guilt can can stay with him like that's that's largely kind of the major point of the character is mm-hmm. to kind yeah. of be be a reminder that his his behavior has serious consequences um and there's not a thing that necessarily requires it to be a romantic character i almost yeah. think that making it romantic kind of distracts from the purpose because it, it just sort of feels like by making it romantic it feels tacked on making mm-hmm. it a friendship you know it, you do get the point of like it's it's him kind of having to go back to his old life and saying i was an asshole and i am sorry yeah before he can really move on with his new life yeah and i think that gets into what i can't was it patrick who brought, like brought up the idea that this might just be sort of you know the expectations of hollywood filmmaking that there has to or maybe it was Juju Juju said that that there has to be a there has to be sort of a heterosexual romance somewhere in in every single plot and yeah I think I think you know a more platonic relationship between uh between them would work a lot better I hope that's the direction they go in the sequel because like they have no chemistry to be fair um if I am casting this film in 2014 2015 for a 2016 release is Rachel McAdams a bigger star than Benedict Cumberbatch when I'm doing that uh so. yeah i would say almost assuredly it, for, for, in in the world of mass media like cumberbatch's star has risen a lot over the last decade and now he's yeah he's at a, a significantly higher level I he mean, had done this, sherlock but he hadn't he had done sherlock he had already done star, star trek, trek into darkness and i guess yeah uh, which god it's a terrible film it's a terrible movie but like that I was guess, sort of yeah and like i, I forgot think, that I forgot that Rachel McAdams was also in When was the imitation game? That was 2014, so I think he was already. He was. Think, he was popping. I would say. I would say Rachel McAdams was probably, you know, pro- pro- probably like you know, in terms of sort of the trajectories of them, had probably slipped a little bit below Benedict Cumberbatch in terms of sort of you know the pecking order of Hollywood at that point, but. Yeah, but um, but like at this point, she she was a star that you could put on the poster in the film. Yeah, she and was the, established. Yeah, and, Which, the, and the the only other female lead in the film is Tilda Swinton, who is is like poster for this. I would be shocked. If arguably she... genderless. I, well, I was gonna say like Tilda Swinton I, I occupies Tilda a very Swinton is some kind of a very particular niche. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you Tilda saying Swinton that about Tilda was... Swinton? This role. Just tell us. I haven't met like her generally, story. but I mean, generally, I think of her as the female half of Wes Anderson. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, yeah, uh, Wes Anderson's when not she like a marriage, like literally at a, at a at a previous point in the timeline, a powerful cosmic being split Wes Anderson and Tilda Swinton into two beings, where previously they had been one. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a transporter yeah. accident. I, I think of them as fraternal twins. As near as I can tell, there's like a regal real 3D poster that features Rachel McAdams, and they did like character posters, one that has her. But like literally every piece of art of this is just, you know, the the magical bullshit uh, around uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, her and name it's a shame because I think her performance in this might be the best in the film. 
Uh, I don't know if I'd agree with that. Rachel McAdams? She's fine. Uh, no, like, Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, no, Tilda, oh, Tilda, Tilda, Tilda Swinton. Swinton. Yeah, Tilda, okay, Swinton Tilda Swinton's great. great. Tilda Swinton's great. <laughs> yeah, I think I think her performance is phenomenal. Uh, mm-hmm. All of her line she's... deliveries are. Derek, like, what did it feel like to body double Tilda Swinton in the film? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was awkward at first, but you know, we spent some time and drank some tea. I will say that I hate that they are always calling her the ancient one. It's one of the few like comic book aspects that really bothers me in this. The, here's the thing about the ancient one, and and like I know there was some controversy over this. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little sympathetic. Uh, I I am sympathetic to the filmmakers. I don't know if their solution was the right one. Um, like this I, one is obviously great, but like there is not a lot of good solutions to the ancient one as a character yeah. concept. Yeah. Like, would you, would you prefer it be a one. '70s stereotype of a mystical East Asian master? I don't know. Like, I don't know what the right answer is here. I, I just know that, like, Doctor Strange, I think, Doctor Strange is from that, like, weird 70s. Like, you also see this in Iron Fist. It's just, there's... Mm. I mean, I think it's a yeah. false distinction to say that it has to either be whitewashed or a 70s. Scenario. I agree with that. I mean... Well, yeah, no, I, 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 I can see the... I can see why going the Tilda Swinton route, like, made sense to them. And, like, I think... I actually like the last time I was watching it. I I was wondering if maybe the problem is Catman too, more like mm, if commentage. You, mm. if, yeah, if you take if you take the whole sort of Orientalist going abroad to Catman do sort of thing, and you just like you know there is a portal to this place in New York City. If somebody yeah. just tells him about this and this is how he meets up with all these people. Yeah, I feel like that can that might be able to sidestep some of the Orientalist problems that you know it's like baked, idea... it's like baked into the I I must go abroad and learn these secret kung fu skills. So I, I, I do I do Wait, think you I'm... you do have to get him out of New York. I actually do think that's important, but you don't have yeah. to send him to Kathmandu. Yeah, like yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, the way that the and way then we that can just the, sidestep this so Bob Seger the way, bullshit. The way and... that the sanctum works, the way that the sanctum works is that, like, in New York, he can then transport, and that can be some, that can be anywhere. It it, it could be perhaps an entirely undisclosed location that is just you know multicultural. You've got you've got you know Asian monks, you've got black monks, you've got English monks, you've got mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton doing her weird. Well, I don't understand why it's, funny... it's a problem for him to go. I don't understand why that is a bad thing at all, since that is historically relevant. Like the 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 philosophy that the Doctor Strange character seems to come out of comes from those places. Mm, I mean, it comes out of a, like a like a very Western popular culture. Trans, transmogrification of the of those ideas. I don't think I don't I think mean, there's like a legitimate basis in uh, in Eastern thought that uh, Eastern philosophy that this uh, that you know a long tradition that this film is celebrating. I feel like it's just sort of you know well, the way the way that the character is set up is just based in like very like fundamentally Orientalist tropes. When I was watching the movie, it didn't bother me. I completely me. disagree with you on that. Uh, All right. I uh, I don't know. I I guess I feel like the 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 fundamental philosophies of yoga and that coming out of India and uh, Eastern philosophy coming out of Tibet that were part of the counterculture movement in the '60s uh, and 
uh, are inextricable from it in a lot of ways uh, are part and parcel of the the whole movement that Doctor Strange Did seems to have come out of in the comics. What's that? Patrick. Oh, Pat. Yeah. Patrick's back. Uh, I mean, yes, absolutely, but I think there's also sort of a fundamental... I mean, very much this is a white savior narrative. This is... This is a, uh, like, what we see of the organization, uh, at least, you know, the good members of the organization, outside of the rogue Mads Mikkelsen sect, pretty much the entire organization seems to be people of color and women, and this white guy shows up, and he's the chosen one. Well, I don't think he's... I, I'm not arguing with that, but I feel like if he got this information elsewhere, it would be... Uh, unfair and it would it would basically be i mean yeah i think taking I, this thing that historically came from somewhere else and then pretending that it didn't come from that place there's there's, I mean, there's a way to kind of get around that and like yeah. I, this is a way i think that might be funny is to to acknowledge that this has this organization has roots in that place but has since moved around like they literally have portal technology yeah so there's no reason they're going to they would stick around in fact i think it actually would be kind of funny if like at one point he offhandedly asks where they actually are located and someone says something like um like out like it's somewhere like it's like it's somewhere where they just could get really cheap land that no one would look for them at and it's like why we have portals like it's like it's kind of ties into the the wi-fi password joke which for the record i actually really like i like oh the, i thought it was a great joke, yeah, great joke. I, I like the i thought there the were a lot of very good jokes in like, this actually like, well can't you use magic for that why we we have to kill like two ravens and this is much cheaper and easier and just sort of tying into the idea of why why are we like outside what it turns out we're outside of chicago of uh indianapolis why rent is cheap uh we can get good internet hookup and hookup and why stay in one place i don't know like there, I there, guess... there's part of me that that's coming around to to Duja's point of view on this and it's it's i'm tying this back somewhat to like okay so we we are establishing at the outset like the protagonist of this film is Stephen strange and Stephen yeah. strange is an asshole um, Stephen yes, Strange yes. is going to go on a journey of self-discovery over the course of this film, and that has to take him away from places where he is established, where he is comfortable, where he has any kind of life. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That makes sense. If we are moving towards I... a particular philosophical point of view that, as dude is calling out, has its roots in a particular place, in a particular view of the world. It's not insane to move him there and have him go through that process. Um, It did not distract me when I was watching the film. Um, And the, the notion of... Like, how do you cast the Ancient One? How do you tell that particular story? Well, you cast the Ancient One because Tilda Swinton's available. Like, that's how you make that decision. Um... I, yeah. I I want to say one more thing here that I think that part of it for me is that like because I totally understand what Bester's driving out with being a white sa- uh-huh. savior narrative, which plays out in uh, what was it Iron Fist, which was uh-huh. like unwatchably bad for me in that, but not so in this one because even though Tilda Swinton talks about him being the best of us because she can see forward and backward in time, uh, I it, there's never a sense to me that he's destined to do this. He's the best because he already has a superpower that enables him to become the best. He has this photographic memory, so he never forgets anything he reads. So when he reads all of these books, he actually accumulates more of this knowledge into one person than anyone else has really been able to before. So he becomes the best because he fucking works at it. And he he 
in the same way that he became the best surgeon, he can, once he gets it through his head that this stuff that he has openly ridiculed when he first arrives is not illegitimate, that there is something to this idea that everything that he has ever thought was true is just one part of a whole much greater uh, explanation of the universe than he's ever understood before, then he can continue growing in all of the paths that these books allow him to. It's also worth noting that I think that he's not, he doesn't take over as the Sorcerer Supreme. We never hear him get called that, even throughout the both Avengers, uh, mm-hmm. both Infinity War and Endgame. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, and he definitely does not see, he seems to be been given the New York sanctum, but like, yeah, because he level, successfully like, defends it after the other guy dies. Also, he's yeah. from New York, so like, you know, yeah. he knows the neighborhood. It's kind of convenient like, that way. Yeah, but like, there's still an order and there's no indication that he is in charge of it. Like, Wong does not behave deferentially towards no. strange at all like at no point do you, even <laughs> yeah. in, in infinity war do you get any indication that if strange gave him an order wong would do it unless he thought it was a good idea like wong does not act yeah. as though he's he he works for steven it's more like yeah. well we don't have a boss anymore so we just kind of kind of figured this shit i actually out. really yeah. love wong in this film and i love wong benedict is... wong's performance oh yeah <laughs> yeah they always wong feel like they're two trigger. co-workers who are having a conversation while the boss is out yes yeah, I would definitely like to see more from Wong. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's got some great moments in this movie. He has, you know, you know, he's only in a couple scenes of. He does Infinity get to discover War. Beyonce, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I assume he uh, already knew Beyonce. I, yeah, I, I don't. I didn't think that was discovery. <laughs> he, he was just playing it straight. Yeah, yeah. I assumed that he heard Wong has enough guile. Beyonce, and so he went and did the research. <laughs> no, I think yeah. Wong no, has I enough he guile to play, screwing play with Doctor Strange. Yeah, 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 yeah. but yeah. He, he's definitely somebody that they that they need to use more of in uh, in the sequel. Wong's got Beyonce fan yeah, all like over him. One hundred percent. Oh yeah. Oh, he's part of the Beehive. Thank you for <laughs> bees have come up so many times. Ah, oh, like the bee boy. Wong loves honeycomb. Yes, it all comes back to Honeycrisp. Honeycrisp is it honeycomb? Honeycomb. Oh, oh, whatever. Oh yeah, that's it's the one. With sugar the crisp and cocoa crisp. Well, I, well, I was also Mads Mikkelsen, even though his he's got a very generic sort of villain motivation. The most like, generic. I I, I, I want to bring into our life God. everybody. It's it, it works in some ways because it is sort of a dark mirror of Doctor Strange, but like God damn it, that that speech he gives is so generic. But Mad Mickelson can just give the hell out of a speech. Like, oh yeah, I, I will say this as a writer: there are certain times when you get actors where you you not how can I put this. I, I I don't know what Scott Derrickson and Cargill were doing, but like, or what part of the process Mads got cast. But I would bet money at a certain point they heard Mads got cast. They're like, okay, we don't have to put as much effort into Mads when we can kind of focus on that character. We can focus on other stuff because we know that Mads Mickelson can just Mads Mickelson the shit out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, it's it's the story that I like to tell. We about call that how, Mickling. It was the story I like to tell about how, like, when when um. What's his name? Um, Robert Redford was brought on to Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah. they, he did like a he, they they did a pass on the movie and the script with him, and he just told him, "Oh, we can just cut this part out because I can just express this line with my face." Um, because and, like, I'm Robert certain... Redford. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just I would willing to bet that they like just pre did that. I'm like, okay, good, great, great. Mickelson's here. We yeah. can kind of like refocus on other parts because Derrickson mm-hmm. also wrote the movie and he did so in a very fast time frame. Yeah. Um, and I w- just I'd be like, oh, thank God, I don't have to worry about this. Mickelson will just 
he'll just sell the shit out of that speech. Yeah, he's I mean, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, I think like just based on like the charm of Mads Mikkelsen and the strength of his performance, I would probably and I can't think of what the character's name is, but I would probably put. I would probably put him in the you know certainly in the top half of Marvel uh, villains maybe in the t- top quartile just because one there aren't a lot of great uh, Marvel villains <laughs> but again it's fucking Matt Mickelson and you. his goal in this is arguably the most nefarious and evil of anyone we've encountered <laughs> this is even worse than Loki like yeah. Yeah, he wants no. to end the earth and all time. Yeah. Yeah, no, there, there aren't a lot of this is, I mean, this is also the Lovecraftian Marvel film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean yeah, this is, he wants to call up Cthulhu and end the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah I mean that's one thing is kind of funny about Scott Derrickson saying the next one's gonna be the first scary. And I'm like, they, Doctor Strange is already kind of leaning into scary. Like there's a part where he gets blasted through dimensions into a dimension of grasping hands, looks at his own hand, sees the fingers oh, yeah. growing into oh, tiny yeah. hands, oh, off yeah, of which more weird. tiny hands grow. And I'm like, that what is are you one... talking about, Scott? I mean, that is <laughs> the most, like, into that, that'd be cool. most frightening and mundane expression of a bad trip that I have ever seen expressed anywhere on film. Like, just looking at his hand and seeing hands turn into hands, turn into hands, just that fractal hand image is when, one of the most unsettling things I've ever seen on a screen. When the fingers begin to fing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when when his hand fing fang fangs. Oh, wait, there they go. Fing fang foom. Oh, and there's uh we will never see fing fang foom. Oh uh, my god. I've, it's wow. the ancient one who tells him I, I, who tells I, Stephen I, Strange I will, something that is almost right a Lovecraftian now. quote, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm jump going back to Lovecraft, but well, go ahead, I, Stephen. Yeah. I it when uh Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings comes out, Fin Fang Foom better be in that fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Finally, the Fin Fang Foom movie. Yeah, he's yeah, he's, yeah, the, yeah, he's the big he's the big bad of phase four. I think yeah. there's a there's a scene where uh, the ancient one tells Stephen Strange something like, "If you knew all that we are going to teach you right now, then you would run away screaming or something like that." Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, I mean, that's like a paraphrase of uh, it's a, the opening it's a, of the Call of Cthulhu, isn't it? It's it, it's a paraphrase of it. It's way less florid than yeah. the actual quote. Well, that's the actual quote. Well, less yeah. less yeah. florid than than Lovecraft never. <laughs> if he'd actually given the quote we would have been there like for 20 minutes yeah. the, the character that we we need to talk about that we haven't talked about is mordo um is yes oh yeah edge of she was a ledge um, he's great i yeah. find his character somewhat boring but also feel like he works very well in this script uh He's clearly like he's clearly set up for the sequel um but he yeah. is also strange goes on a journey and he goes with strange on that journey but ends up at the opposite place of it like there yeah which is a really interesting dynamic to see in two characters Mm -hmm. that are through the course of this film partners pursuing the same objective yeah hillary commented that we don't this she we couldn't think of another marvel film where you see uh an ally zealot who whose faith in their leader is undermined and so it drives them in the other direction and it's interesting to see how the ancient one actually keeps trying to teach mordo that like there's the line we never lose our demons mordo we only learn to live above them which is basically telegraphing the 
the further truth of the ancient one that mm. uh, she she justifies this thing, which may or may not be really evil. But, but uh, I don't. I, I think that's entirely up for the debate, yeah. and the movie does not tell you yeah, what you should believe. Uh, because it demonstrates that she is very effective at her job and she has seemed to have learned to live above her demons. Uh, whereas Mordo, who believes so strictly in this concept of natural law, which the movie is pretty hazy about. Yeah, we, uh, we don't get a lot of who Mordo is or where he comes from or, or what natural law is supposed to mean in this I context. Know. He, he, yeah, he's he's a obey the laws of time. Which two, I think is things. one of the reasons that like he he falls a little flat for me. I feel like you know, before sort of the the big you know s- set of set pieces at the end versus Caecilius uh, or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. like I, I think I think they only have like two or three scenes together prior to that. I feel like you could have done more to sort of. But he's got those like what his magic boots. He's got he's got you know he helps him get into uh, there. He has the Wi-Fi joke and we and he has magic boots. That's pretty much all that we know of him before I, we get into I like there was some stuff the third act. What's on the cutting room floor about his backstory? Yeah. I think he yeah. was like you he actually has a it. really dark backstory that I th- I think I and mean, this is me operating on my notoriously dodgy memory. He was like a child soldier. Like he's got a very dark mm. backstory. Okay. Um, yeah. It, 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 well, since this very much black and white, since this without film is less than two hours long, I can believe that things ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, without that backstory, it feels like a very like surface kind of shallow fundamentalism. Like mm-hmm. it, it feels more like a performance of mm-hmm. this ethos rather than an actual. Yeah. Ethos. It yeah. sells it, but it definitely felt like I needed to know more. Um, yeah. By the way, I do think it's very funny that at one point when he and he and Wong catch Strange doing a bunch of shit with time that they're worried about him doing. I'm like, you guys are literally describing what Tony Stark and Ant-Man and Bruce are going to just, like, casually do a couple movies down the line. Yeah, I feel like the biggest problem of this film is that the the world that it creates complicates the rest of the MCU so much that they basically have to ignore all of the Doctor Strange powers, except in a very limited way. That doesn't bother me that much, to be completely honest. He can teleport across the universe, yeah. and yet doesn't... He's trapped on a planet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, also, I, I... he could cut off Thanos' hand with a portal. I actually or don't head. think he could have done that. I, I know that everyone says that, but at that point, Thanos had the space stone. I feel mm. very much like he could have just space stoned it, and that space stone overrides other portals. And also, like, you know, there's one of the 14 million and 52 uh, scenarios he played through. Maybe he played through all of those and, like... What if I cut his head off? What if I transport his guts into space? (laughs) (laughs) That's just my... That's my... At the point that Doctor Strange gets to Thanos, Thanos already has, like, three of the five stones. It counteracts a lot of shit. Setting aside like that, like, but I think this does get, get to a question that I have is... What is the point of Doctor Strange in the MCU? Like there is a there is a conscious choice that like this relatively obscure character who I would say is not especially fundamental to like the broader like let's get all of the you can like, say that the same thing about the Guardians of the Galaxy or Ant Man or you know any yeah, character yeah, yeah but than, there's you know, there's the there's three several. there's three things you do with Doctor Strange. Um, one, he's the only character whose comics have been on the cover of a Pink Floyd album, true, so true. he's pretty important. Uh, um, 
I no, didn't know that. I mean, n- n- number one, we've talked about this before. Everything that comes out as part of the MCU is focused on kind of medium to long-term world building. And Strange yeah. is an easy vector into a section of the MCU that has not been explored in depth. Now, why yeah. you do it at this point in time, yeah. I don't know. And I would say I don't. it doesn't feel like a sector of the MCU that's really played out as, like, obviously he has kind of a big role in... Mm-hmm. Uh, in not Endgame mm-hmm. in Infinity War, but I don't. There's a sequel coming. Um, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know if he's like a fun like. I don't see. I don't. I don't know. I just feel. I just feel like he. He feel like yeah. I think dude just right that you know yeah you could say a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of these character feels superfluous because you know on a fundamental level yeah they are, uh, but I don't know for for whatever reason strange. Particularly, I guess, also going back to sort of some of the Orientalist uh, issues they have, like, they they keep kind of having this sort of forced error of they did not have to make Iron Fist. They could have avoided that whole that whole uh, b- bad look on them. They just don't introduce that character. They can have a different defender. They don't have to have Doctor Strange. And they don't have to have the, whatever I, the... But I like Doctor yeah, Strange. I, I think he's cool. This yeah. is a fun, you know. I, I, th- I, but- I think the, the Orientalist piece of it, I, I I understand where you're coming from, Bester, but I think you're overstating the importance in the overall decision-making process with that. Like, I think that you make that decision saying, like, all right, yeah, we're going to catch some flack for this. But number one, it opens up storytelling avenues that this is an easy vector into. Two, it, um, as Derek was saying, like, money, money, money. It's visually interesting as a film and you can sell that. Um, mm-hmm. And three, there, there is, there is a component here that does anchor into the larger overall narrative of the MCU, which is the eye of Agamotto being one of the infinity stones. Um, and at a certain point, because if you made it one, like that's but, not but, a but, but that, that's it. Like at a certain point, if you're building the story, you're, I mean, like the soul stone gets introduced in infinity war. All yeah, of yeah. the other ones show up before then, and at a certain point, if you're a Kevin Feige and the writing crew, you have a whiteboard and you're like, "Fuck, we got we six of these time? things. Where are we gonna put these?" Um, yeah. And introducing uh. one into the story of Marvel's most famous wizard is not a crazy place to put it. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. I, uh, I, I, I also what, think I that it's. You mean the... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Derek. I, I, I see the. This film does seem to like not have a point as it's like I realize these are you know this is a serialized universe. The points to make money. That white that whiteboard is is important, but like yeah, this film by itself, it I I feel like it more than many other of uh, uh, of these films kind of seems to come out of left field. Come well, come out of just uh you know. It, it seems to bring up this question of okay, why do we why do we need this this character? And <laughs> you know, why why do we need this additional vector? You know, if if it's to to motivate, oh, we we have to get this stone in there. It's kind of like, is that really a reason? For I do, I an do think it film? it is like this is part of things that will play out in the the scope of stories they want to tell. I mean, they're. The avenues that they have begun to explore in the scope of the Marvel Universe, you've got kind of the very straightforward on-Earth superhero stories. You have the cosmic stories, which began with Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, with the two Ant-Man films, you have seen kind of the, the 
science-driven quantum stories that they're leaning into, and then this is is the magic vector of that. Hmm. Um, yeah. and I also think I don't know what other things beyond like further Doctor Strange sequels are going to explore that. Um, but it's it's another avenue of storytelling, and if like for a film that is as to the Marvel template as this is, um, I do think that part of the the logic of that is okay. We are introducing this branch that we can explore later. We are doing mm-hmm. it in a way that is to our template and accessible in that way. But mm-hmm. we can. Yeah. This gives us that avenue to go down, and maybe it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, there there have been other Marvel films that have not mm-hmm. gone anywhere. Um, I don't know. I I, uh, I think Sorry, that the the sort of fundamental appeal of magic to a huge portion of the population, the you know the money spending population who love the Harry Potters of the world, the Lord of the Ringses of the world, like that there is there's a lot going on in this movie that you don't get anywhere else in the Marvel universe, uh, to my knowledge, or certainly mm-hmm. not anywhere else in the MCU, uh, but. Also, I think that the the personal journey that Stephen Strange goes on to overcome his ego is fundamentally important to sort of the superhero, you know, the, the, the various motivations that you get in the, you know, the tapestry of like superhero lore that Tony Stark goes through it to a certain degree because he has a near-death experience. Uh, and Stephen Strange also has a near-death experience and loses the thing that, you know. But Tony Stark's journey i feel like is to devote his technology to i I don't know i feel like there's a fundamental difference between the 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 kind of the thing that goes on in a marvel film where the protagonist has to overcome their personality disorder before Mm -hmm. they can conquer the big villain in the final final act uh that this personality one, disorder or daddy issues or both yes yeah. whatever their internal emotional <laughs> struggle is yeah, mirrors the like, villain of the mcu i mean i really think that the other anti stephen strange or the other evil stephen strange in this film is stephen strange that he is the evil version of himself mm. in the, yeah, first, no, that's fair. the first act and it's not until he overcomes his ego through the use of magic psychedelia and yeah. the ancient one finally conveying to him that uh it's not about him it's a great Uh, and the the, i think that the climax of this when he's fighting mephistopheles or what's the name of the big guy different demon guy. it just rolls off the destroyed spider-man's who stole spider-man's marriage it's a whole thing it's my favorite confrontation between protagonist and antagonist in any Marvel film easily uh, partially because of my personal experience watching it, what I was going through in my life at the time and my experience in the theater opening night when, when Stephen Strange says, this is how things are now. And I laughed louder. (laughs) I mean, I felt like I was alone in the theater. I I laughed through the next like three lines of dialogue because when I realized, because I was working a job i was like doing a lot of tedious tasks and every day i had to go in and remind myself that this work was very important and even though it didn't feel like it was challenging to me doing something that does not feel challenging but is mundane and important is a struggle that every like talented person needs to go through just like 
the the people who want to enter the Shaolin Temple have to sweep the floors for however long they have to do. Just like if you want to get into Project Mayhem in Fight Club, you got to stand on the porch and listen to insults for two days. Or a grad student has to do all of the bitch work for everyone, you know, and, and like they got to do Best the grunt work solemnly. before they can, you know, achieve the next level because there's a history of like next level. <laughs> yeah, no, before it's you, more, yeah, before it's you get more the piece of, the of paper, level. you have to get it's your fate count up. Fair enough, but you, you get the principle <laughs> that I'm driving at here: that no matter how good you think you are, you've still got to clean your own bathroom. Like yeah. you have to do the tedious work. Uh, to, to remind yourself that all you know you live in the world that the world doesn't exist to serve you you have to do things to get through the day and when when strange is confronting dormammu and and sets the time loop and he sacrifices the rest of his life essentially for eternity Several to just times. like be to be stuck in this loop with this elder god from beyond space who's just going to squash him like a bug until he gives up and rage quits the game like it's it's incredible because he's conquered a god by forcing him to do a tedious task for all time which is the mo- if you feel like you're a talented person then there is nothing more infuriating than having to do some tedious bullshit repeatedly like until you go insane so Stephen Strange has forced Dormammu to come down to his level. Uh, like he, Strange feels like he's way more talented than doing this bullshit. So he just uses that against this thing that exists outside space and time. And I think that's brilliant. I, I, I love that. Yeah. That was, that was amazing. <laughs> I want to, I, I do want to go back to a point you made earlier about like the appeal of fantasy. And yeah, obviously yeah. that's very important, but like, that that suggests that like this would be like a good entry point for people who weren't previously into the Marvel franchise. I feel like I feel like if I were going to recommend a Marvel movie for like I've never seen a Marvel movie, I feel like this would possibly be the last not the last movie, like but but like That's certainly of like of like first most movie. people, but there are some people who would be much more interested in this film than a lot of other Marvel films, I think. And I guess, those are like, people this... who are more interested in drugs. <laughs> okay. But I, I mean, yeah, this, I'm, is, I'm not this is MCU movie number what? Like, 14. where are we at? 14. This is the 14th. I feel like, I think Marvel at this point has, like, gotten the audience that it's gotten. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I just, okay. I don't, be- I, I, sure, I'm sure there are some people who are, like, super into Do- Doctor Strange, more than they were and yes maybe some maybe some mind alterations were involved in that process but again i just i don't know if the value add of ooh, now we have magic now we can get the harry potter bucks no that's that's, that's, that's not what i mean what what, what i mean is like if you are planning if you were doing franchise planning on a 10 to 15 year time horizon you need to keep narrative avenues open to you so that the films that you make are not just repeats of the others and this is like yeah this to some degree this is a pay in your dues film (laughs) this i mean yeah i think i think i think the the later potential of introducing uh, Doctor Strange, I can definitely see. I think, I think this movie succumbs so much to repeating a lot. Like this, this comes mm. at like, what's the next MCU movie after this? Guardians of the Galaxy Part uh, Volume Two. Okay, and then after that, is that Homecoming? Uh, either Homecoming or Ragnarok. Okay, because I feel like I feel like we're really in a period where Homecoming. I was like at. 
yeah homecoming and ragnarok i feel like is when the mcu turned a corner for me yeah. like yeah. i had gotten real bored with yeah. them and i feel like this period where we're in with dr strange and guardians 2 and both of those are movies that like on rewatch i have liked a lot more than on that when i saw them in theaters mm-hmm. but like i found them like very very disappointing like i feel like like from like civil war through uh through uh guardians 2 there's just this period where like i i get real bored of marvel's formula and i think this yeah. i think this is doing a lot of interesting things and i think it does open up like some really interesting directions to go i'm excited to see doctor strange 2 but having seen Doctor Strange one now three times, I'm relatively That's confident enough. I don't need to see yeah. see I this like ever ever again. The it, movie that it, this I will compares most watch easily, again. I feel like the movie that this compares most easily to is Guardians of the Galaxy because mm-hmm. they really stick to the the straightforward, understandable formula in a way because they're introducing so much weird stuff. Yeah. Where Guardians of the Galaxy is like very formulaic in some ways because it's so out there in other ways guardians of the galaxy is is formulaic in the sense that it is star wars um and it has the benefit of being an ensemble piece which does introduce a feeling of variety to it yeah yeah i think i think guardians guardians one i think might i i might say is the best introductory movie it's extremely rewatchable for like the first the first movie of any of these different sort of sub properties maybe with the exception of like homecoming or Black Panther, like I feel like they've gotten better at that recently. But like, yeah. but there was like Black a fre- so there was a freshman curse. Characters. There was like a freshman curse that was like, you know, Iron Man's good. Yeah, it suffers from Thor's having to include the origin story. Where yeah, Homecoming so I, skips that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. The other so way I think. In, oh yeah, go ahead. I mean, the other way in which that's I think a revelatory comparison. Uh, you know, the Guardian, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy to this film is that Guardians is is really funny. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. this, this has jokes, but really, it's not a funny it's film. It's really not that funny. <laughs> no, yeah. There's it lacks any kind of lightheartedness through most of the film. And my big problem with this is that the first act is very visually dim. Like the palette is very mm. dark. Yeah. I think to offset the later orange, bright popping stuff. Yeah. But and like the whole everything in the hospital looks like a a Chicago Hope CBS like <laughs> drama. Like, it, it looks like a hospital drama or a hospital procedural. And it's it really suffers because the characters also have that sense of like dimness to them. And it doesn't do as good a job escaping that, but it does do a good job, I, I think a satisfying job at least, of when you see Strange come back through the portal when he's injured to... Uh, uh, Christine Palmer, uh, Doctor Rachel McAdams, Rachel McAdams. Um, she uh, like they actually have the emotional confrontation, and he apologizes, and there's a sense that he has learned something, but he's Mm -hmm. got some shit to do right now, so he's got to go back to the broom closet. And there's no sense of like wasted time. The sequel should have been called Doctor Strange Two: Back to the Room Closet. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like there's that they actually make a lot of comedic hay out of what in other films might be like a drawn out kind of, I won't you believe me? No, I don't believe you. Won't you believe me? Here's proof. No, I still don't believe what? Like the annoying fair, kind of thing that a lot of American movies do. Yeah. To be fair to this movie, like I think the reason they were able to bypass a lot of that is that 
she lives in a world where Thor, God of Thunder, is already known. There is team. precedent. And yeah. I'm actually curious to how they're going to handle this with Blade, because I hope to God that the new Blade does not have, like, Blade having to spend a lot of time explaining that vampires exist. And he's like, vampires are real. And everyone in this world, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah, sure. Let me talk yeah, sure. to you about that. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting, how they introduce that. Yeah. But I also uh, love that Marvel is not shying away from these insane properties that oh, yeah. came out of just, oh, like, like, let's Blade. write a bunch of comics. Go fucking oh, yeah. No, I, yeah, no, I think, I think that's world. absolutely, you know, and yeah. But I think also to go back to like what, why, why at least I personally think Guardians works better than this is again, I think, you know, it's funnier, but also like that sort of space setting, the sort of, yeah. the, the broader cosmos of the Marvel universe has been really central to a lot of post Guardians Marvel movies. Obviously, it's important yeah. for Guardians 2, well, I Thor mean, Ragnarok, yeah. the, the, is, uh, the last the two Avengers movies. Like, but whereas I don't really see, like other than other than as an explanation for Doctor Strange's powers when he shows up in the Avengers movies, I don't feel like magic has tra- has had that kind of transformative, like expanding the well, scope of the world in the same way that oh my god no, now it's I mean it hasn't been as long, but also I, I, I mean I agree with you fundamentally. I think that it would be very difficult to incorporate magic into the rest of the the yeah. MCU in a way that the other characters interacted with in any way. But I. Uh, I do I mean, think Scarlet that, Witch seems like you know, which is why she make it so that her powers going, aren't make it so her powers are magic, which is why she's I mean, in the next Doctor Strange film. Yeah, I, uh, if, if I'm if I'm just to kind of stop on something ahead. real quick, this is a thought I've actually been wanting to express for a little bit. Is that part of one problem here is that um, Marvel does not actually have a lot of magical characters, mm-hmm. you know, or at least not a lot of big ones. Like I, I've been thinking about who are the major magical characters in Marvel, and, and here's it, my list. No. Doctor okay. Strange, obviously. Uh, uh, Brother Voodoo, who we actually see his older brother in this movie. Incidentally. Brother, Vo- uh, yeah. brother yeah. Why, Voodoo? Why didn't, why didn't brother he make Voodoo. it into this film? <laughs> Who's who? Who is Brother yeah. Daniel Drum? Yeah, his younger brother becomes Brother Yeah, Voodoo. Master Drum. Um, uh, Dr. Druid, who's just an asshole. Um, Dr. Druid? Yeah, he's a he's a huge oh dick. <laughs> That's um, as good as Doctor Strange. Like, I really Mr. like Doctor. There's a missed opportunity the here Dr. where he Dr. could be Doctor Uid. Doctor Doctor Uid. There's a couple of like young Avengers. Yeah, Wiccan. Um, no, I was thinking characters. Uh, Wiccan. And, I believe Wiccan like, powers magical. are magic. The only the only other major ma- uh, Iron Fist, obviously, and mm, yes. um, uh, Ghost Rider. And like they, they just don't yeah, have a lot of magical. Yeah, they just don't have a lot of magical based characters. Like it, it, to I mean, co- we don't Thor talk about these kind of magical. Yeah, I was thinking Why like you know means... you can get some of sort of the Asgardian sort of like oh he's got magic powers he's magic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, he's like I guess... he's that Asgardian Arthur C. Clarke hand wavy like right. science. Yeah, but, like science I mean, is magic. Einstein kind of yeah. is in the same science is magic in this case. So anything that's religious is also kind of magic in in this sense, and that it's not science, right? Yeah. What is? But right, but like anything that is, is that religious like, based, like where heaven and hell are issues, or the afterlife, or you know, guys, uh, other pantheons of gods what, are, what? are because they're not science based. Yes. They're almost kind yes. of definably. We bad. introduce Jesus into the MCU. You're brilliant, dude. The oh. ultimate Avenger. Jesus versus Ghost Buddha. Rider specifically deals with hell and the devil and demons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, so. I know. Wait, I just want the wait, other. Wait, Jesus back, versus Buddha. Back up, back up, back up. Buddha just, is not a deity. 
I just I just want to see a movie poster that says Jesus the Ultimate Avenger. <laughs> Jesus noted first for Avenger. his avenging. Yeah, the <laughs> first Avenger. The, my point is that like Jesus DC does not DC has a much stronger Moses roster maybe would be the first Avenger? Um, Noah? They actually did they they no they did a thing about it. It was Odin, the first Ghost Rider, uh Agamoto, the first Sorcerer Supreme, uh, the first Iron Fist, and one other dude. Um uh, and the first Ghost Rider war, war, uh, did, in fact, ride like a dinosaur, in case you we were wondering. Um, nice. Oh, I'm just, just curious like about this one other Kentucky. dude. Because I think that every superhero team should have someone whose superhero name is that other dude. <laughs> I, I think the, the, the point that I'm trying to make, though, about Marvel's lack of a deep magical bench is that they're going to have to start digging deep into their, their B and C list for, for wizards, which is great. Marvel's done great when they dig in, when they dig deeper into their bench. I think they've done very well when they kind of dig, dig for that, but to open it up, they need to go with their most well-known wizard. Who's kind of also their only wizard. So they, they, if they're going to open up the wizards, they have to start with Dr. Strange. Tough to start headlining a film with Dr. Druid. Yeah. (laughs) Dr. Druid. (laughs) Or Brother Voodoo. (laughs) Okay, since we're now at the point of the podcast where we're showing uh, pictures... Where of... we're describing images that other other people are sharing. Yes, um, I think it's time for us to move into our final thoughts. Um, sure. Uh, I'll start. Yeah. You, yeah. You've been mostly also, quiet why... this episode, Derek, so you I should re- start this I realize episode. this is describing the image, but why is Nightcrawler not in this? The uh, devout Catholic. Nightcrawler and Daredevil. If he knows, it's yeah. because if Nightcrawler knows, then he does not have to believe anymore. Mm, yes. Derek, your final thought. Is, so, the, um, I'm I'm with Bester. I mean, I think the most revelatory thing uh, this this go through this watch through, which is the third time uh, I've seen the film, uh, was that uh, I actually watched it like four weeks ago when we first tried to schedule this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, like you, Stefan, rented the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that um, I didn't even ask myself if it was worth renting again oh, yeah. in anticipation oh, yeah. of tonight's recording mm-hmm. says something about my desire to ever see it again. Yep. Um, it just, it, it's got a short uh, shelf life, I guess, maybe is the, the, or there's not a lot of rewatch value to it. This is the um, kind of thing that, like, if I'm hearing you describe this correctly, maybe in the days when you might be flipping through cable and there were something on cable back in the halcyon days of 2004, you might <laughs> let it rest. But since I did no stop one... and watch it on, that was the second time I think it was on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I I, I, I think what I would do is I would go, okay, this is playing on AMC. Let's see what's on every other channel, and this will be what I will watch if nothing yeah, else. Yeah, between it's reruns of Breaking I'm Bad. Stop, I'm not stopping on it, but I will come back. It's a content of last resort. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's fine. It's it's fun yeah. in the theater once. The end. I do think that, that the visuals probably are more serviceable on a oh, theater yeah. screen than they are on the, the home screen. Yeah. But I still think that all of the mir- like all the effects in this I thought were phenomenal. And I'm glad that we didn't get, you know, that yeah. 
we're not watching a Roger Corman version of this. <laughs> oh no, that'd be now terrible. That as I amazing want. as Although, that, we at some point we do need to watch like the uh, the seventies one. Yeah, the nineteen seventy. With the mustache of power. Yeah, I would like to watch that. I would um, really like to see that. Starring uh, Peter Hooten. <laughs> but Dr. these <laughs> visuals, for, especially all the mir- mirror universe stuff, oh, yeah. I think looks amazing. Uh, yeah, I would say like as 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 somebody who you know is kind of ambivalent towards this movie. I definitely, this is definitely a movie I recommend that you see. If you have not seen this movie, like definitely watch it. Cause I think I, uh, if, if, if only for the visuals, I don't think, I don't think at least at this point yet, knowing the backstory for Dr. Strange necessarily like opens up new avenues for no. your appreciation of the MCU. I we'll we'll like- see what happens in the second one. Maybe, maybe that'll, maybe that'll make me change my tune. But like, yeah, I think I think if you haven't seen these visuals, watch them because yeah, they are legitimately really interesting. It's it's very cool graphics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree with uh, Derek and uh, Nick that I, I feel like this isn't as serviceable to the MCU or doesn't stand as well as an MCU film as it does kind of on its own. If you find the subject matter or the character uh, appealing. Uh, but let me just run through my notes. I, I, I thought it was interesting that Wong doesn't appear until 33 minutes into the film, and he's almost the second protagonist. Mm. Uh, I'd say Mordo is the second protagonist, but Wong is a yeah, strong I think, tertiary protagonist. He, I think Wong gets a lot more uh, development. I feel like I yeah. feel like I know a lot more about Wong as a person. Like I don't necessarily know like his like. They certainly make, get, they go out of their here. way to make him much more likable. He certainly has, yeah, think, he certainly just has the benefit of having also appeared in two other films since this film came out. <laughs> yes, yeah. but they also they give him much. They give him comedy, yeah, and Mordo is more dramatic, just playing against. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, Mordo's, um, Mordo's only laugh, laugh line is the Wi-Fi line. And it's a good joke. It's a good joke. Um, I, I did wish that the uh, the film were more specific about, uh, just on a nuts and bolts level, of what the demark, dark dimension is, like mm. why it offers power that she's able to draw on. Like, mm. it, it would seem that if I were writing the physics of this magic, you know, the physics of magic for this world it would seem like the dark dimension would drain your life rather than provide you with life. So like, what is she sacrificing in exchange yeah. for this that actually makes this evil instead of just like an intelligent thing to do? Yeah. I think that, I think the mechanics of like what exactly it is that uh, the ancient one is doing and why it's a, why it's as big a betrayal for Mordo as it is. I think yeah. gets. I think it also gets sort of back into uh, the the Lovecraftian angle of it. Like you yeah. were talking earlier about this, and I think you know. Yeah, I most, like if most with love, that. most Lovecraftian horrors aren't really evil in any way that we can understand. Yeah. They're sort of they're sort of chaotically us. ambivalent and yeah, different it's towards like us. It just, yeah. just needs to, to eat. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, like, I don't, I, it's hard, it's hard for me to understand how exactly siphoning power off of Dormammu is a fundamentally evil act that is this betrayal for Mordo, Morbo, Mordo? Mordo. Do, Mordo. Mordo. Uh, Mordo. I feel like oh, I would destroy the you. way to write that is that because, like, if, if we were going to write it right now, I would yeah. say the explanation is that 
she's been drawing power from the dark dimension, which has power available, but that draws the attention of Dormammu. So yeah, the more that she does that, the more likely it is that they're going to have to fight some big evil thing in that dimension that sees the keyhole into our world. Whereas without her accessing it, they would never notice our dimension. Yeah, I think uh, I think that would be I think that would be a great way to do it. I feel like again, it's like like Derek. I haven't seen this in like a month. If I remember correctly, it's, I feel like the way it's presented in the movie, it's more about like her hypocrisy. Like, yeah, no one else but is allowed to, to try this. But like Morbo doesn't in his mind. Yeah. yeah, but also given given the very sort of rigid moral code or like natural law bullshit that he's yeah. advocating for. I don't think he would be siphoning power off of the dark dimension if it were an option to him. Yeah. I, so, so, oh my God, you're siphoning power off the dark dimension and you won't let us do it. Doesn't feel like as, but yeah, if there is this sort of explanation of you are bringing, you are bringing ruin upon this planet. Caecilius Ky- couldn't yeah. do this unless you had done this. You opened the door for what's going to happen. You're, you've doomed us all. You, you ancient asshole. That yeah. would be a much better much better motivation i feel like give us give me a better sense of how magic works what Mm -hmm. uh what the ancient one is doing what morbo is thinking i'm not going to stop calling him morbo now that i've done it and and that's all i can see now is just every scene in this film that he's in it is the wi-fi password i think it's very interesting no more sorcerers sorcerers. i don't see any hypocrisy in the ancient one's actions here because She's obviously right. She can do this without becoming evil, whereas Caecilius yeah. cannot. His desire to do this is proof that she's right. Yeah, no, right. she is. She's clearly. There's no evidence that she's that she is doing like. And again, maybe that's she is another way to above do- her demons by all relevant. Yeah. But evidence. like, but yeah. if, but again, this might be another way. Like, if we if we are shown like what the what the prices that she's paying, if she's you know abducting mm-hmm. orphans off of the street and sacrificing them, uh, you know, if she if she is doing something evil to get this kind of power, but yeah. there's no evidence that like it's just sort of more more both saying this is evil. You are drawing evil, mm-hmm. uh, but like we see no evidence of that. Yeah, uh, I think the 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 Mordo like. The whole thing, the crux of Mordo's character is that he is a very binary thinker. Like, he yeah. sees some things as good and some things as bad. And those people who who act that way, but in an uncritical or people who have no room for gray area thinking in their minds, mm-hmm. often will go from, com- you know, it's very easy for them to go from completely good into bad because... The, their yeah. brain stops working once they see that there is so there two, are things that two things. yeah that, one, one mordo is at a fundamental level he's a zealot and yes there is there yeah, is a, just like Caecilius. there is a there is a school of thought that at a certain point zealots are zealots and zealots will yeah. pivot on what they are zealous yes. about you know yes. at a time um, yeah. as long as they get to have that conviction uh two i really appreciate you uh describing his uh inner thoughts in terms that popeye would understand by saying some some things is good and some things is bad (laughs) well there is a level of simplicity to that kind of thinking that uh is best expressed at the the end of the of a popeye movie and just recruit him into the event wait 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 wait. who owns who owns the rights to popeye at this point feature syndicates the hearst uh the hearst okay i mean that 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 is that oh yeah could popeye I mean, show up in the uh, mcu is what i'm asking Williams, this is popeye what i'm film? asking was that, that's not a disney angle. film 
Owned by oh. Hearst Communications. Uh, uh, Hearst Communications is still an independent entity, independent private company. Okay. Uh, no, but it is in a partnership with Walt Disney Company for uh, for ESPN. So they are bros. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so that's not quite that's not quite Popeye as uh, as the newest Avenger, but you know, yeah. hop, skip, and a Je- jump. Jesus will be in those movies before Popeye. Yeah. Is. Sir, certainly. Excuse certainly, me, but Jesus is in every movie. Certainly now <laughs> that they bought him now not. that they've bought Fox. <laughs> Clearly, the company that owns Popeye is the next biggest fish to fry. Yes. Was that a Popeye's pun? <laughs> no, that would be a chicken. Sorry. That would be no, and that was named Zilvers. after Popeye Doyle. Uh, yeah. All right, Patrick. Let's no, go, it's let's... a Papist conspiracy. It's Popeye's chicken. <laughs> I mean, yes. as... <laughs> ring the bell. Ring the bell. <laughs> oh. As a native New Orleanian, I do have many thoughts on Popeye's chicken that I can share okay. if requested. I, I need thoughts on this film, then on Popeye's chicken, then on papal conspiracies. Wait, dude has something else he wants to say. Okay, it's yeah, gotta I'm be up on one of A few more things for my notes so. I wanna read. Um, I I really enjoyed the Mr. Doctor back and forth because it felt <laughs> it felt like a natural who uh, who's on first kind of confusion yeah. thing. It, it felt well done. Uh, I really like there are several instances here where in a, in other films, they, they have to get over the hump of how the new amateur is going to be able to fight the much more experienced master. And I feel like the use of the magical artifacts here gets around a lot of that unbelievability in other films where they when he throws that like skeletal trap cage thing onto Caecilius, it gives plenty of time for bad guy monologuing and good guy uh you know winning uh, where he gets the upper hand uh and his his ability to defend the new york sanctuary actually feels legitimate even though five minutes before that it would have seemed completely impossible mm. that this guy who doesn't know anything yet or you know is untested would come out the the winner in this fight um i really liked the spirit world fight in the hospital where she uses mm. the the cardiac and you see like this weird mm-hmm. logic that electricity goes into him and then through his spirit into the other spirit into that guy's body. And it seems insane, but you're already in the insanity realm. So it's fine. Uh, and I just thought that was clever. Uh, and I liked that they actually address the fact that a doctor just killed a man and he's got to reckon with that for at least 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's good. And... I was initially upset that Stephen Strange uh, forgot to scrub in when he went to like operate on the ancient one. And then he looks down at his dirty hands, holding a scalpel. He's like, okay, I'm shaking. I should not do this operation. I will hand the scalpel off to the other doctor. To serious Uh, man. But then he did scrub out of surgery. So that, that felt like they covered that face a little bit. Uh, and uh, let's see uh yeah i guess again i don't think that this is a funny movie but there were a lot of really good laugh out loud lines for me uh so i i just want to mention that i liked most of the jokes patrick movie popeye's chicken papal conspiracies (laughs) got it so the best Popeye's chicken. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, no, I want to know. The best, the best Popeye conspiracy. You got to fucking wait. Um, uh, in terms of the movie, I think I've said a lot of how I feel, what I think. Like, like I said, I like this movie a lot more on the rewatch. 
I kind of enjoyed its spirituality more, and I enjoyed. I, I liked the fact that like Strange is is maybe the biggest asshole of all the Marvel heroes we've seen thus far, and I kind of liked the fact that he had to really get broken down in a way the other Marvel heroes haven't. Like the only person who I think who they really put through the ringer as much maybe was Thor in the upcoming Ragnarok, but they really put Strange through the ringer. But that was funny. That was funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. They put Strange through a ringer, and I really do feel like this was a character who had to be broken down in a way that none of the other characters did, did to get to where he is. And I, there's just something interesting about this as a character study. Like, I will admit that, you know, this is, it's following a lot of the same beats, and it's, it's definitely kind of, um, in terms of setting things up, it's mostly just to kind of go, yeah, magic exists. By the way, this is the time stone. Like, what, one more to go? Oh, thank God. Um, and... But as a character study, I find it very interesting. Um, and that's kind of all I have to say about that. Like, I, I think it's a very interesting character study of Strange. I love the visuals. I'm really excited to see what Derrickson does for the second movie, especially yeah. if they kind of let yeah. him off the leash. To yeah. Because I feel like they kind of maybe... there's a mo- I got, got the impression that maybe he wanted... There's a world where he wanted to be a lot freakier. Yeah. Uh, and then no, maybe next they time. Yeah. Is this the um, first movie that directly names the Infinity Stones in no, in the movie? Guardian. No. Guardians, Guardians did it. Well, and there's a reference to it in Thor the Dark World, although you're forgetting okay. for blocking that from your brain. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't remember if the explanation in Guardians was in Guardians 1 or Guardians 2. Guardians 1 is uh, when, when Benicio does yeah. his thing. I, yeah. um, I completely agree with you, Patrick. I love the character study of this guy who is like, all of these gifts are things that he defines himself by, and they're systematically taken away from him, from his hands and his ability to do surgery, to his money, to uh, his his sense that he knows what's going on in the world. And then they take his sense of humor away uh, because he can't make Wong laugh. Uh, and I love the line when he says, people used to think I was funny. And Wong comes back with, did they work for you? I, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> that. I did like that bit about, um, like, no. And I think, because, like... <sighs> Strange had to be broken down in a way that none of the other characters had to be broken down because he had way more... He was much more of an asshole. Like like we yeah. said, and Tony he got broken more. down. Yeah. Tony was not as much of an asshole. He didn't have to be broken as badly. Like, for Tony... Tony is an asshole, but he actually... Tony actually does care about Rhodey. He always has. And, like, he's... He... he we meet... Tony's a man with a, with not much of a support system, but has a bit more of a support system, emotional support system than... Strange does, who doesn't really seem to have anybody. Yeah. Um, but the, the... one thing that Tony has to overcome is his sense of inferiority to his father. And yeah. Doctor Strange has no sense of inferiority to anybody. No, <laughs> yeah, no. I, and that's his big problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah he, he has whatever he, the opposite of a chip on his shoulder is. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is the chip. He yeah. is the chip. Uh, my one last thought, though, I do want to explain is, and it is touching on that Wi Fi password joke. Uh, there, so, there are times in Marvel comics where I don't like the way they write Doctor Strange as like being completely cut off from reality. Like one of my favorite one-shot comic runs ever is a there's like an established tradition in Marvel that the Thing and Wolverine host a floating poker superhero poker game. Okay, and and it's just a thing, you know they 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 host it, but it's always it's whoever's like free to show up and do it. Um. And one of my favorite one-shots ever is one where the Kingpin is literally bored on a Friday night because Vanessa is, is out of town and he has nothing to do. So he just crashes the poker game and is like, if I win, I'm going to take all your money and buy a yacht called Hero's Folly. 
Uh, and what if you lose? I, I'll give you the money. You can donate to charity. I don't know. Like, it, it's literally just they're all bored on Friday, and it's yeah. kind of fantastic. The only thing I don't like about it is that Doctor Strange keeps acting like he has no idea what the rules of poker are. And I'm like, the dude went to medical school. Yeah. yeah. Parker, you don't get through medical school. Fucker knows how poker yeah. works. Right. And and that's what I liked about the way they did is he is he, ro- the- is he roping a dope? Or does he just basically yeah like what and what i liked about the the way they do magic and i hope they keep doing this going forward that again it's the wi-fi password joke it's technology doesn't exist we're not like oh we're wizards so we don't understand how wi-fi or computers work it's like no we have email why it's easier to email people than it is to do anything else why would we not yeah 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 it's like astrally projecting to talk to someone's a pain in the ass i could just email him So I, I like that, and I, I, I hope that is something they kind of keep going forward, is the idea that, like, and they, and they make this joke again in Infinity War when they're, off, they're going out to the deli. It's like, well, you have to rise above monetary concepts. Um, you got real slow. I couldn't, I think, yeah, I'm not getting any of that. Yeah. Google when, when he said deli, I thought it was going to be a pun on rye. Rise above. <laughs> Am I working again? Yeah, you're you're back. Yes. Okay, yeah. Back. Last thing we heard was uh Delhi. Yeah. Okay. Something about a fine it... pastrami sandwich. Maybe New Delhi. Okay. It's in... Nope. Now you you got so nothing. He, he, nope. He's, he's gone. Making, he's making these the deli. universe. The yeah. universe does not want to hear this Delhi joke. Yeah. No, it's it's not good enough. <laughs> while while we're sorting this out, I just want to say that when he said floating he poker game, which... I imagined a whimsical dirigible. <laughs> yes, an airship of some type. Uh, since like I can't even tell the story, I'll just cut the uh, I really like the fact that they this is a magical order that is still dealing with the real world. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. The two are not mutually yeah. exclusive. Uh, right. It's, it's Wong listening to Beyonce on his iPod. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, my final thought uh, is basically the same as everyone else's. This is fine. Uh, I'm glad I rented it. Uh, maybe one day I'll watch it again. I actually, Hillary gave this to me on Blu-ray for my birthday, yeah. specifically Aww. so we could do this podcast, because it's Aww. the one out of yeah. the last batch of movies that I would rather own than her. So, All right. yeah. Well, uh, I'm of MCU films, that may be true, but I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are about our next film. So uh, we are we are entering. I would say, like on a per film basis, twenty seventeen may be the strongest year that we're going to see. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, the first one that, year, that we begin with. Uh, the next film we are going to watch is Logan. Mm-hmm. Oh, which I have not oh. seen. I've uh, not seen either. Oh, I, you're we've, already, such a treat. we've already done yeah. Deadpool. I was thinking Deadpool was coming up. Yep. I forgot we've yeah. already done that. So, the, yeah, the four films for 2017 are Logan, Guardians mm-hmm. 2, okay. which is fun and interesting, mm-hmm. um, Homecoming, and Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Oh. Ooh, that's, that's strong. I would say, I would say again, I liked, I liked Guardians 2 more on rewatch. We'll see how I feel on the third viewing. Uh, I would say it's the week. Well, again, I haven't seen Logan yet either, but uh, based on what I... Yeah. I it's the weakest of the three I've seen. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, that's a yeah. that's a real good yeah, year. I like all of these films. Yeah, when we get to 2018, we'll uh, we'll have to enjoy Venom. Uh, and when we get to 2019, we'll have to endure Dark Phoenix. 